Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. And I'm D. And this is Terrible Book Club. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Wait. That's not us. <laughs> Record scratch. This is also Hello, welcome to another joint venture. Oh, this is so fucked up. This is, this is also, <laughs> I love this. This is also the ending. I love this. <laughs> it's all fucked up. We're all we're like a we're like. We're like the first lattice pie crust you ever made, and it's just a mess. Like, nothing overlaps right. It's all fucked up. Doesn't even look like a lattice anymore. Yeah, it's us, the Terrible Antique Book Freaks, the unholy child of the Terrible Book Club and the Antiques Freaks podcast, united together once more to defeat Karnacki. Once and for all. <laughs> We're going to get him this time, you guys. Oh, we will. We've studied him for five stories. It's story six. I think we can fucking kill him this time. <laughs> I think it's the last story in the collection, too, so he might die. No. No, there's more. Uh, he's unfortunately, gonna, I don't think this is a Breichenbach Falls situation. I think I think he just keeps going. Oh, God. Well, I'm so anyway, sorry. This is uh, episode uh, 103 of the Terrible Book Club. I don't know what episode of Antiques Freaks this is. Some point in the future. The future. We're recording Ooh. this uh, early. We are from the past, the distant past of November. Um. Anyhow, I, I don't think I'm going to do our regular spiel because this is a weird nope, one. It's uh, not so, a normal episode. No. So normally we read uh, books that we think are bad that we find on the internet that people tell us about. But uh, in this case, when we are when we put our powers together and become the antique book freaks, um, we read some things that the antique freaks, antiques freaks have chosen for us. Um, and today we're reading uh, number six in the uh, Karnak. I don't know. What the fuck are these called? Karnaki ghost finder stories. Yeah. Uh, we're reading the thing. This Invisible. is Karnaki the ghost finder by William Hope Hodgson. Originally yes. published in 1913. Thank you. Uh, we're reading number six, The Thing Invisible, not to be confused with The Horse Invisible, which was number four, I think, or three in this series. It was. It was number four. Really just not trying with these titles. <laughs> I don't even Listen, know what we have to for- come up with six entire titles. <laughs> I know. I don't know what we're doing for content warnings. I mean, there's probably going to be some supernatural shit, maybe a ghost, uh, probably some guns, because that's how you fight ghosts, we've learned from Karnacki. So I guess be aware of ghosts and guns to get the G's, the double G's. That's our content warnings for right now. This might change because we haven't read the story before. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And we're, we're going to be raunchy and loud and swear. So, you know, 
Barnyard Fuck rules. Yeah. Still apply. <laughs> yes. Thank you, D. Uh oh yeah, I'm Paris. I've been talking too much, and that's Chris over there. Hello. <laughs> this is the worst intro. Oh, this God. is amazing. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. <laughs> all right. So uh Ken, do you want to uh go over our, our reading rules when we've read uh Ye Old Karnak? Yeah. Absolutely. We will be reading this short story with Eye of Argon rules, which means we each take a turn narrating, and the narrator goes until they either fuck up or crack up, and commentary from those not narrating at the time is concert is nope, it's encouraged. Encouraged <laughs> is what it is. It is. Um Yeah, so we heckle each other while we read. Uh we take turns. I'm we've never established an order here, but uh Nope. It's just not. a fresh start every time, yeah. and just you know, we we feel it out as we go along. And I don't want to start this time, so tagging out here. <laughs> All right, uh, I can start unless D or Ken feel strongly. I can start. The floor is yours. All right, D, take it away. All right. So I'm sorry. Which one were we on again? Number six, <laughs> the thing invisible, not the horse invisible. Okay, uh, right. That's that is uh, honest to God what got me fucked up real quick because I was like invisible horse, invisible thing. Is this yeah. the fucking opening to Sleepy Jean? Like what the fuck is? <laughs> <laughs> what number is this again, Jim? Seventeen. Num- number six. Okay. Number six. Get prepared for Karnaki. Oh my God! The ghost. You're so. My ears. Wait. Sorry, I haven't. Can, can we Sorry, try? I uh. Can I get a little less D in the monitors? <laughs> It's taken, it's taken a, uh, I finally have like a good mic set up, but it's taken a little while to get used to it. Like I used to have to really project to get my voice into it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get so, it. So I'm, uh, I'm still I adjusting. I was sorry. I wasn't All trying right. to be rude. Uh, I was just like, cause you were, already, you were already loud and then you went into your reading voice and I was like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Projects so we are people at, in the back of the pews in here. Yeah, exactly. I'm a church singer. Number six, 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 the thing invisible. Karnacki had just returned to Shane Walk, Chelsea. I was already fucking up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I'll take over. It's you anyway. (laughs) I love it. No, I'm cracking up. I was aware of this interesting fact by reason of the curt and quaintly worded postcard, which I was rereading and by which I was requested to present myself at his house not later than seven o'clock on that evening. Mr. Karnacki had, as I and the others of his strictly limited circle of friends knew, been away in Kent for the past three weeks. But beyond that, we had no knowledge. Karnacki was genially secretive and curt and spoke only when he was ready to speak. When the stage arrived, I and his three other friends, Jessup, Arkwright, and Taylor, who you definitely remember from before, would receive a card or a wire asking us to call. Not one of us ever willingly missed, for after a thoroughly sensible little dinner, Karnacki would snuggle down into his big armchair, light his pipe, and Aww. wait, whilst we arranged ourselves comfortably in our custom seats and nooks. Then we would oh, begin to talk. Is little Karnacki all comfy now? Oh, little Karnacki so cozy. <laughs> Upon this particular night, I was the first to arrive and found Karnacki sitting, quietly smoking over a paper. He stood up, shook me firmly by the hand, pointed to a chair, and sat down again, never having uttered a word. For my greeting, part, my friends. I said nothing either. I knew the man too well to bother him with questions or the weather, and so took a seat and a cigarette. 
Presently, the three others turned up, and after that, we spent a comfortable and busy hour at dinner. Dinner over, Karnaki snugged himself down into his great chair, as I have said was his habit, filled his pipe, and puffed for a while, his gaze directed thoughtfully at the fire. The rest of us, if I may so express it, made ourselves cozy, each after his own particular manner. A minute or so later, Karnaki began to speak, ignoring any preliminary remarks and going straight to the subject of the story we knew he had to tell. I have just come back from Sir Alfred Jarnock's place at Berkeley, <laughs> South Grand. <laughs> he began, without removing his gaze from the fire. Most extraordinary things have been happening down there lately. <laughs> this guy's mouth stuff full of legs. <laughs> I don't know if I'm trying to finish this. I'll just the cotton ball man if he continues. <laughs> Paris, you're making the one that's talking the most the hardest to say. <laughs> And Mr. George Jarnock, the eldest son, wired to ask me to run over and see whether I could help to clear matters up a bit. I went. I don't know what voice I'm doing anymore. Perhaps perhaps a different, easier, more consistent man. Voice. It's, it's a man playing Chubby Bunny and trying to pretend <laughs> to be Sean Connery at the same time. <laughs> perhaps you really got to ease up on her. You're going to give yourself... Careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I got it. I think I got it. You got yourself there. You played dude. yourself. Like... You played. It was too funny. Oh, sorry. I went off work over now. No, I loved it. Don't, uh, hey, don't apologize for uh, your art. Uh, Chris or Ken, it's all you. Try to give, try Ken. to give that Karnaki a notable voice that isn't. Uh, I don't know, a chubby bunny choking or something, whatever decent. <laughs> when I got there, I found that they have an old chapel attached to the castle, which has had quite a distinguished reputation for being what is popularly termed haunted. <laughs> already, As opposed- already. Okay, sure. They have been rather proud of this, as I managed to discover, until quite lately when something very disagreeable occurred, which served to remind them that family ghosts are not always content, as I might say, to remain purely ornamental. Everybody gangster till the ghosts start haunting. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> show the fucking show those Victorians what's what. Or... It sounds almost laughable, I know, to hear of a long-respected supernatural phenomenon growing unexpectedly dangerous, and in this case, the tale of the haunting was considered as little more than an old myth, except after nightfall, when impossibly it became more plausible-seeming. But however this may be, there is no doubt at all, but that what I might term the haunting essence. Oh, that's my favorite H, thing to add to muffins. E, <laughs> And get that spook, gonna ratchet that spook up. Get the haunting essence. Are we out of? Are we out of? We have a lemon extract. Yeah, just use the haunting essence. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's so. Like, like, my favorite thing to do when I'm. <laughs> my favorite thing to do when I'm baking is like you can get that like classic birthday cake taste by mixing in butter extract, in with vanilla. But mm-hmm. like I didn't have either, so I used haunting essence. <laughs> Sorry about that birthday, by the way. Yeesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'll never forget it. Which lived in the place had become suddenly dangerous, 
deadly dangerous too, the old butler being nearly stabbed to death one night in the chapel with a peculiar old dagger. Get fucked, butler. What is he doing in the... I mean, so this butler was just like... Was he just praying in the chapel and some ghost was like, time to murder? Like, I, I don't know. That seems a Already, weird. this is like saying that it was a ghost is extremely convenient to everyone else living in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was probably a ghost. Oh, yeah. It is, in fact, this dagger which is popularly supposed to haunt the chapel. And yes, haunt is in scare quotes. <laughs> a At lot least- of things are in scare quotes here. At least, there has been always a story handed down in the family that this dagger would attack any enemy who should dare to venture into the chapel after nightfall. But of course, this had been taken with just about the same amount of seriousness that people take most ghost tales, and that is not usually of a worryingly real nature. I mean that most people never quite know how much or how little they believe of matters abhuman or abnormal. (laughs) Abhuman! No one really thinks about how hard it is to make a six-pack. Yeah, I was gonna say, I do some crunches and I get (laughs) ab-human. And generally, they never have an opportunity to learn. Yeah, most people don't get a six-pack. And indeed, as you are all aware, I am as big a skeptic concerning the truth of ghost tales as any man you are likely to meet. Oh, really? Really? On God, really? I'm not feeling that. Sure, Karnacki. An unprejudiced skeptic. Fuck off, Mm. (laughs) Karnaki! Fuck off! I am not given to either believing or disbelieving things on principle. Fuck off! Also in scare quotes. (laughs) As I have found many idiots prone to be. (laughs) Oh, boy! And what is more, some of them not ashamed to boast of the insane fact. I view all reported hauntings, quote unquote, as unproven until I have examined into them, and I am bound to admit that 99 cases in 100 turn out to be sheer bosh and fancy. But the hundredth, well, if it were not for the hundredth, I should have few stories to tell you, eh? Okay, so you're telling us this is your 600th story. (laughs) Yeah, apparently this is (laughs) just, yeah. It's your 600th ghost adventure, at least. I don't believe that. I don't believe it at all. How many episodes of ghost adventures are there? Uh, There's actually probably about 600. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but uh, like, I appreciate that viewpoint, but it's not how we have come to learn of the character. Because he is never the first... He's not really the first one to be like, maybe it's something else. I mean, I don't know. No, he's always he always runs screaming through the halls that a bubbling tar clown is going to like kill him. <laughs> and it's he's like, right. well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah what a skeptic! He's right, he's right, he's not wrong. <laughs> of course, after the attack on the butler, it became evident that there was at least quote unquote something in the old story concerning the dagger, and I found everyone in a half belief that the queer old weapon did really strike the butler either by the aid of some inherent force, which I found them peculiarly unable to explain. Queer old weapon is what I want to be called when I'm old. Oh, yeah. Do you the queer old weapon? Or else in the hand of some invisible thing or monster of the 
capital O outer capital W world. Which a great video game. Thank you, Karnaki. Exclamation (laughs) point. Did the out did the outer world game have uh, some invisible thing or monster? It did have monster. Okay, had monster. Arguably, I don't. I I can't say much to it having some invisible thing. Mm. I did say invisible. Unvisible, yeah, not invisible, but just unable. I don't know. Unable to visible, yes. Yeah, unpossible to visible. I think is the correct term. Yes. Scientifically speaking. <laughs> oh. From considerable experience, I knew that it was much more likely that the butler had been quote unquote knifed by some vicious and quite material human. <laughs> okay, all right, knifed, all right. This is quotes. this is reasonable. I feel like this story is starting off so much more reasonably than any of the other ones, and I'm I'm so confused by that, but okay. It is pretty rare for Karnak to Karnaki to just say, like, if a guy was stabbed, it was likely by another guy. But yeah. I am really curious as to why knifed is in quotes, because the one provable thing is that a knife went into the man. Yeah, the, the quotes... The quotes are weird. Sorry. No, no. What was it? Oh, no, go ahead. I was just saying, yeah, it's the things that are in quotes and the things that are capitalized are just seem so... It random. makes it seem like Karnaki doesn't believe the man was stabbed, which, like, is, is, yeah. the, mo- is the one provable experience. Like, yeah, you're right. It's silly. It does not seem to follow any earthly pattern, his capitalization or punctuation. It's true. Naturally, the first thing to do was to test this probability of human agency, and I set to work to make a pretty drastic examination of the people who knew most about the tragedy. The result of this examination both pleased and surprised me, for it left me with very good reasons for belief that I had come upon one of those extraordinary rare, quote-unquote, true manifestations of the extrusion of a capital F force from the capital O outside. In more popular phraseology, a genuine case of haunting. And for Mm. the first time, haunting is not in scare quotes. Well done, Karnak, you've grown as a man. Obsessed with the fact that this guy is examining a case in which a man was stabbed and describes the experience as both pleasing and surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. If I were the butler, I would I would be so chuffed if he was like, "I'm pleased to announce, like, great, because (laughs) I've had the best time of this (laughs) Karnacki." Wait, because the butler's still alive. It said he was really nice to just. He's fucking. He's right there. So glad you're having a what, good time looking what, into my what a near jolly death. good What a jolly good experience I'm having, sir. Sorry oh. about the knife. It's wow. been knife to examine this uh. case. <laughs> oh, wait, all right, no. all right, let's take, wait, wait, wait. We need to, all right, we got to get a pool going. Um, all right, I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet uh, five, $5 that uh, this butler, also a little gay. Just like all the previous butlers. Yes, all butlers are gay. All butlers I mean, in the if Karnacki- Downton Abbey has taught me anything, it's that you can't butler without being gay. Well, mm. okay, but the butler was stabbed, which means that he was probably stabbed by an evil butler. And if mm. Downton Abbey's taught me anything, it's that gay butlers are evil. Well, okay. now we need to talk about uh, sharp weapon penetration as a metaphor for homoerotic desire in the English literary tradition. Oh my god, I mean, to, Ken. I mean, why yeah. are you so right We're about that? We're never getting through this fucking story. Why oh my are you god. so right about that, Ken? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to violent homoeroticism, no one's more correct than Ken. 
Wow, thank you. Wow. Truly All right. Honor. I think I think Chris is about to uh, knife Chris, one of us. Chris in the might back, actually so. die if we delay further. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna be half dead in a chapel. Oh, it's gonna be bad. These are the facts. On the previous Sunday evening, but one, Sir Alfred Jarnock's household had attended family service as usual in the chapel. You see, the rector goes over to officiate twice each Sunday after concluding his duties at the public church about three miles away. At the end of the service in the chapel, Sir Alfred Jarnock, his son Mr. George Jarnock, and the rector had just stood for a couple of minutes talking, whilst old Bellet the butler went round putting out the candles. Can we call him Bullet? I want to call him Bullet. Absolutely, we're calling him Bullet. Silver Bullet. Suddenly, the rector remembered that he had left his small prayer book on the communion table in the morning. He turned and asked the butler to get it for him before he blew out the chancel candles. Now, I have particularly called your attention to this because it is important in that it provides witnesses in a most fortunate manner at an extraordinary moment. You see... The rector's turning to speak to Bellet had naturally caused both Sir Alfred Jarnock and his son to glance in the direction of the butler, and it was at this identical instant, and whilst all three were looking at him, that the old butler was stabbed there, full in the candlelight, before their <laughs> eyes. What okay. a fortunate what a fortunate manner to be stabbed. I mean, to be fair, in under some light source in front of other people technically fortunate i mean it's like one one luck it's like one oh i can't speak it's like one uh one degree of fortune less than being stabbed in an er like i i don't I know it's like, true. In, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's pretty good yeah this is this is the edwardian equivalent of being stabbed in er pretty much <laughs> wow that's a good point I took the opportunity to call early upon the rector after I had questioned Mr. George Jarnock, who replied to my queries in place of Sir Alfred Jarnock, for the older man was in a nervous and shaken condition as a result of the happening. Can't blame him, it was a terrible film. I agree. And oh. him to avoid <laughs> as as Sick burn! Sick burn, Zing. That was a good zing. Sorry. The rector's version was clear and vivid, and he had evidently received the astonishment of his life. He pictured to me the whole affair, Bellet, up at the chancel gate, going for the prayer book, and absolutely alone. And then the blow, out of the capital V void, he described it, and the force prodigious. The old man being driven headlong into the body of the chapel. Like the kick of a great horse, the rector said. Oh my god, if, this is, a, if this is another invisible horse, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Invisible horse too. the revenge. This time revenge. it has a knife. <laughs> <laughs> it's also in the chapel. It was the horse with the knife in the chapel. At the chapel. Fuck, this game of Clue is weird. <laughs> <laughs> the horse with the knife in the chapel. Victorian oh, clue is fucked up. <laughs> I mean, I, it doesn't. I, I, I was going to count it. Oh, man. <laughs> is it me now? Is that what happened? Uh, I think I Ken is passing I mean, Ken, it. Ken fully cracked up. So. Yeah, I, think, I, I, think I Ken, fully lost it. I think Ken was All driven right. headlong into the body of the terrible antique book freaks uh, by the kick of the great invisible horse <laughs> in, into I you, see. Chris. <laughs> 
Like the kick of a great horse, the rector said, his benevolent old eyes bright and intense with the effort he had actually witnessed in defiance of all that he had hitherto believed. When I left him, he went back to the writing which he had put aside when I appeared. I feel sure that he was developing the first unorthodox sermon that he had ever evolved. He was a dear old chap, and I should certainly like to have heard it. The last man I visited was the butler. He was, of course, in a frightfully weak and shaken condition, but he could tell me nothing that did not point to there being a power abroad in the chapel. He told me the same tale in every minute particle that I had learned from the others. He had just been just good. Fuck. Ah, <laughs> uh, joke. He had joke. just. He had just been fucking, and then he had yeah. just been fucking. Just fucked God. in the chapel. That's probably why he got stabbed. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yes. All right, D. Uh, let's, let's see it. Well, I mean, let's see if D can be more than a one sentence wonder this time. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if I can figure this one out. He had been just going up to put out the altar candles and fetch the rector's book when something struck him an enormous blow high up on the left breast, and he was driven headlong into the aisle. Examination had shown that he had been stabbed by the dagger, of which I will tell you more in a moment, that hung always above the altar. The weapon had entered, fortunately some inches above the heart, just under the collarbone, which had been broken by the stupendous force of the blow, the dagger itself being driven clean through the body and out the scapula behind. Holy whoa, 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 shot with a dagger. <laughs> he was whoa. shot. He the was dagger shot has an exit dagger. wound? That's not yeah, a dagger, that's a sword. Wait, how does the whole thing go through hilt and handle? Like, how does that not and just rip you apart? The whole thing? Oh, driven clean he, through the... He, there's no way he's going to live through this. No. He accidentally the whole thing. <laughs> he accidentally the whole thing. <laughs> the poor old fellow could not talk much, and I soon left him. But what he had told me was sufficient to make it unmistakable that no living person had been within yards of him when he was attacked. And, as I knew, this fact was verified by three people. I... Yeah, there it goes again. <laughs> I mix well, capable and responsible into people somehow. Uh, hey, yeah. and like, it's like that's a lot we've, of P's and L's. Honestly, <laughs> Gotta be people. We've, we've all been pretty short-lived tonight. I don't know. Yeah, oh. yeah, we're ch- mm. we're. It's a lot of it's a lot of names. I think. Oh. Karnaki knows that this is our last effort to defeat him. He is putting up his best fight yet. Oh, yes, yeah, it's true. Gonna... There's a there's a force preventing us from pronouncing <laughs> things correctly. All right, Paris, choose a better voice for Karnaki this time, please. Uh, um, how about, how about this? No, that's still weird. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever, I'm, I'm going to go, looking I'm going to rest on my laurel. I'm going to rest on my, my, my tried and true. Yeah, and, let's go back. Uh, and as I knew... This fact was verified by three capable and responsible witnesses, independent of Bellet himself. <laughs> now this I can get behind. Yeah, the thing, good. The thing now was to search the chapel, which is small and extremely old. <laughs> it is very massively built and entered through only one door, which leads out of the castle itself, and the key of which is kept by Sir Alfred Jonick, the butler having no duplicate. The shape the of the branch of the Kennedy family is not often spoken of. <laughs> I was gonna say, it sounds like a like an advertisement for like a used electronic store in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> where, where you can pick up your electric pentacles? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. 
The shape of the chapel is oblong, and the altar is rally, rally, <laughs> damn it, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> rally, rally, god damn it! <laughs> we're never fucking finishing this story, holy shit, but... We're never, we're never gonna do it. Three hours later, uh... Sorry, I was trying to say rails. Railed. Karnacki's putting up a fight. <laughs> Karnacki's putting up a fight. He shipped us all haunted essence in our in our latest holiday packages. It's in my Pepsi right oh now, God. yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Ooh, I kind of want a Pepsi. Let me just pour a cup of haunted essence real quick. All right, well, I fucked up railed. It's Ken so. next whenever he's done with it his is drink. Me. The shape of the chapel is oblong, and the altar is railed off after the usual fashion. There are two tombs in the body of the place, but none in the chancel, which is bare, except for the tall candlesticks and the chancel rail, beyond which is the undraped altar of solid marble, upon which stand four small candlesticks, two at each end. Obvious exits are east and north. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) East, south, south, and Dennis. I liked Sorts for a new direction <laughs> is, uh, of South yeah. North. South East, 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 West, Sorth, and Dennis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Above the altar hangs the Wayful Dagger, as Not I had woeful. learned it was named. Is it supposed to be like Wowful? <laughs> wowful. Wayful Dagger. <laughs> a Wowful Dagger. W A E F U L. Call that a Wayful Dagger. Is it supposed to be Woeful? That's what I was thinking. Let me, let me see what the, oh, the internet wow. say about. That is a waffle. dagger straight out of Ohio. Uh, by the way, when I, so when I type in Wayful, the first thing Google wants me to change it to is Waifu. I just want you to know. You also know. <laughs> oh, the Waifu dagger. <laughs> oh, the Waifu oh. From the dagger. Orient. That makes so much sense. Um, actually, Nippon, the Waifu dagger. Wayful is the Scottish predecessor to Woeful. Okay. The Scots spelling. Uh, so when I looked up Wayful, the I did get wordnick.com and the example given is from Carnegie the Ghost Finder. Oh, is my Is it really? God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. why? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. The pain in my heart. Pain. <laughs> Anyhow, back to the story. I fancy the term has been taken from an old vellum which describes the dagger and its supposed abnormal properties. I took the dagger down and examined it minutely and with method. The blade is ten inches long, two inches broad at the base, and tapering to a rounded but sharp point rather peculiar. It is double-edged. How right, the ten fuck inches is the butler still isn't alive? Enough. Ten inches isn't enough to go all the way through a human being. No, like the entire dagger, like no, from the en- tip to pommel, went through his whole body. Yeah, yeah, yeah like a like, bullet. Yeah, that, I can't. I can't. Karnak. I know. I know. I know. I know. Karnak. Come on, you're really trying to pull out the stops on this last one, but we know. We know. You saying the butler can't take ten inches? <laughs> oh. oh, you know all- what? You know. We, we all know. I ha- ha- yeah, I'm saying butlers can take it all. I'm saying ten inches is way above the average <laughs> for daggers. Not a knife. Yeah. So like you can't be expected. Yeah, I uh I gotta say, I was not expecting Ken to be the first one to make the dick joke. That was exquisite. I know, I know. I'm, I'm honestly I'm proud of you, Ken. I know. I learned from the best. What can I say? 
We've truly corrupted you at this point. The metal sheath is curious for having a cross piece, which, taken with the fact that the sheath itself is continued three parts up the hilt of the dagger in a most inconvenient fashion, gives it the <laughs> appearance of a cross. I can't yeah, well, even begin like, to picture this. What the fuck? Yeah, what are we looking at here? That this is not unintentional is shown by an engraving of the Christ crucified upon one side, whilst upon the other, in Latin, is the inscription, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Wait, so it's wait, definitely wait, the horse. Wait, the dagger just says, like, I'm a magical evil dagger and I'm gonna fucking kill you on it, and they just have that in the church? And they saw that and they were like, this has to stay in the church, I think. But it's yeah. also got Jesus on it, so it's probably fine. You know, Jesus's favorite thing, um, I Jesus actually was super into vengeance. From, yeah, I remember Jesus saying, vengeance is mine, I will repay, shortly before he, like, yeah. suplexed, like, Pontius Pilate in half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. So that actually, that all tracks. I'm trying to, rem- I'm trying to imagine this. Okay, um, it's ten inches long, two inches broad, that's actually quite, that's pretty substantial, tapering to a round but sharp point, double edge. Paris, we have to get through this story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just having a really hard time. Um, Yeah, I can't picture it. I I can't make sense of like the the logistics of it. Oh, it gets better, Ken. If you could please continue, we can learn more about this bizarre dagger. Karnaki even calls it out as a quaint and rather terrible conjunction of ideas. Upon the blade of the dagger is graven in Old English capitals, I watch, I strike. On the butt of the hilt, there is carved deeply a pentacle. Oh yeah, this is totally fine. Definitely just keep that in your home, in your church. I think Christ would love this, yeah. Yeah, it seems a little, it seems like we got a lot of mixings of faiths there. A little strange. Actually, the pentacle is an ancient Christian mystic symbol dating back to Gawain and the Green Knight. Okay, all right. All right, nerd boy. Fine. Fine. It's an Arthurian ghost dagger. I don't know. It's an Arthurian horse ghost dagger. That's what I've decided. This is Merlin's horse. He's pissed. I don't know. He's in this knife somehow, and he hates butlers. All horses. It's really the only explanation. This is a pretty accurate description of the peculiar old weapon that has had the curious and uncomfortable reputation of being able, either of its own accord or in the hand of something invisible, to strike murderously any enemy of the Jarnock family who may chance to enter the chapel after nightfall. Oh, the butler is the enemy. Wait, yeah, why is the butler an enemy of the family? He's their butler. The butler did something. Come on, it's super He's plotting, he's plotting. Yo, oh my god, the butler (sighs) is the kid's actual dad. Yeah, come on. I may tell you here and now that before I left, I had very good reason to put certain doubts behind me before I tested the deadliness of the thing myself. (laughs) Karnacki killed a man, okay? (laughs) (laughs) As you know, however, at this point of my investigation, I was still at that stage where I considered the existence of a supernatural capital F force unproven. In the meanwhile, I treated the chapel drastically, sounding and scrutinizing the walls and floor, dealing with them almost foot by foot, and particularly examining the two tombs. At the end of this search, I had in a ladder, and made a close survey of the groined roof. 
I passed. Yeah, what? <laughs> what's, a, what's a groined roof? That is that is actually a, ter- a technical uh, construction term, but it is funny. What is it? It's a technical construction term for a roof with a dick. Yeah, what is yeah, it? For a roof what with is- a, that has a dick and balls. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's so like, uh, it, like it's like dovetailing. It's like where two joists meet. It's called the groin. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Kind of like how when two legs come together, it's the groin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that, that actually makes perfect sense. Thanks. I passed three days in this fashion, and by the evening of the third day, I had proved to my entire satisfaction that there is no place in the whole of that chapel where any living being could have hidden, and also that the only way of ingress and egress to and from the chapel is through the doorway which leads into the castle, the door of which was always kept locked, and the key kept by Sir Alfred Jarnock himself, as I have told you. I mean, of course, that this doorway is the only entrance practicable... To material people. Practicable? Good catch. No, that's uh, it's practicable. Practicable. I don't practicable. know, something about the setup makes me think it's, it's hard see. Practicable. Yeah, it's practicable. practicable. <clears throat> yes, as you will see, even I had... Nope. Nope. Ah! There nope. it is. Nope. Fucked <laughs> it. Nope. All right. Well, I guess I'm up this time, and I'm going to go with Paris's interpretation of Karnacki this time, actually. Just That's a good off, one, you know. yeah. <laughs> some, some kind of hybrid Boston-New York man. Back. Some kind yeah. of Boston-New York man, yes. <laughs> I have a dark and terrible secret to confess. I can't tell Boston and New York accents apart. They are <laughs> similar. <laughs> I mean, I right. can't keep them straight when I'm doing impressions, so, like, you're not wrong. Yeah. They are, like, uh, <laughs> New York has more of a... Oi, yeah, and things. And Boston has more of a. Ah, New York is more of a. I'm walking here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Boston would also say, hey, I'm walking here. It would be more like that. It's more aggressive. Right. It's true. Well, I think. We'll see how mine comes out here. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Let's, let's get introduced to this Karnacki. Yeah. As you will see, even I had discovered some other openings, secret or otherwise. <laughs> It would not have helped at all to explain the mystery of the incredible attack in a normal fashion. For the butler, as you know, was struck in full sight of the rector, Sir Jarnock, and his son. And old Bellet himself knew that no living person had touched him out of the void. That's sad. The rector had described the inhumanly brutal attack out of the void. A strange feeling it gives one, eh? And this is the thing that I had been called in to bottom. So I see Karnacki, Karnacki is going to be taking the for bottom. Oh, confirmed. Wow. I, how yeah, Karnacki stories? saw the 10 inches and he was like, that's nothing. Oh, he's like, <laughs> I'm here to show you the way. He's like, come on. Come on, bullet. We're going to gonna do this. Wow. <laughs> how do these stories just get gayer? Like, I don't understand how this keeps happening. <laughs> called After into cons- bottom is called a in- hell of a fucking He's called phrase. into bottom 10 inches. What? And what? <laughs> Called into bottom a 10-inch dagger. Yeah. It's a After considerable thought, I decided on a plan of action. I proposed to Sir Alfred Jarnock that (laughs) I should spend a night in the chapel and keep a constant watch upon the dagger. But to this, the old knight, a little wizened, nervous man, would not listen for a moment. He, at least, I felt assured, had no doubt of the reality of some dangerous supernatural force a roam at night in the chapel. He informed me that it had been his habit every evening to lock the chapel door so that no one might foolishly or heedlessly run the risk of any peril that it might hold at night and that he could not allow me to attempt such a thing after what had happened to the butler. 
I could see that Sir Alfred Jarnock was very much in earnest and would evidently have held himself to blame had he allowed me to make the experiment and any harm come to me. So I said nothing in argument, and presently, pleading the fatigue of his years and health, he said good night and left me, having given me the impression of being a polite but rather superstitious old gentleman. That night, however, whilst I was undressing, I saw how I might achieve the thing I had wished and be able to enter the chapel after dark without making Sir Alfred Jarnock nervous. I asked the butler if we could fuck in there, and he said, yeah, I got the key. He said, yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> On the morrow, when I borrowed the key, I would take an impression and have a duplicate made. Then, with my private key, I could do just what I like. Okay, so we're adding breaking and entering into Karnacki's sins. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the boldness of him thinking that stealing a key and making an illegal duplicate isn't going to make Sir Jarnock nervous. Yeah, it's not going to make fine. anyone we don't concerned. Know <laughs> In the morning, I carried out my idea. I borrowed the key as I wanted to take a photograph of the chancel by daylight. When I had done this, I locked up the chapel and handed the key to Sir Alfred Jarnock, having first taken an impression in soap. I had brought out the exposed plate in its slide with me, but the camera I had left exactly as it was, as I wanted to take a second photograph of the chancel that night from the same position. I took the dark slide slide into Burton. I took the dark slide into Burton Tree? <laughs> you took the dark slide into uh, failure! I took the dark slide into choking. God. Uh, what is the dark slide? The the slide from the camera. Oh, I thought that he took some fucking oh. Mario 64-ass slide into town. I thought it was a euphemism. Yahoo! <laughs> You're the winner. <laughs> I can't believe how many times I had to say Jonic. Jonic. Janik. Janik. Good old Kanaki and Janik. They go way back. All right. Uh, <laughs> is it me? It me? is D, I think. D. D. <clears throat> All right. Two sentences this time? I'm, I'm gonna, all right. I'm going to try. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to get to two sentences. <laughs> I don't know if I'm actually going to make it because I'm going to try to like follow the, the myth of the tone. I took the dark slide into Burton Tree, also the cake of soap with the impress. Oh, this is the soap full I Kennedy. Left with the local ironmonger, that's the only one I know, so who was something of a locksmith and promised to let me have my duplicate finished if I would call in two hours. This I did, having in the meanwhile found out a photographer where I developed the plate and left it to dry, telling him I would call the next day. At the end of the two hours, I went for my key and found it ready, much to my satisfaction. Then I returned to the castle. <laughs> After that is dinner that evening, disturbingly good. This is so good. You're just how <laughs> long have you been practicing Kennedy impersonation? Uh, you know, just every day. <laughs> uh, after dinner that evening, I played billiards with young Janak for a couple hours. Then I had a cup of coffee and went to my room, telling him I was feeling awfully tired. He nodded and told me he felt the same way. I was glad, for I wanted the house to settle as soon as possible. I locked the door of my room, then from under the bed, where I had hidden them earlier in the evening, I drew out several fine pieces of plate armor, which I had removed from the armory. What? There was also a sh- What? What? Sorry. Oh. He just- Yeah, sorry. I- By the way, reader, I removed several pieces of plate armor from the armory and hid them under my bed. Yeah, that's yeah. just like somebody would it's normal behavior. How many natural 20 stealth rolls did that require? Yeah, really, that's a great question. 
What in the whole fuck? <laughs> That's not going to make him nervous or anything. <laughs> so weird. Uh, <laughs> there was also a shirt of chain mail with a sort of quilted hood of mail to go over the head. You know, silent chain mail. On. Easy to sneak around the house yeah. at night in. Oh, yeah. The totally quietest fine. armor. I buckled on the plate armor and found it extraordinarily uncomfortable. And overall, I drew on the chain mail. I know nothing about armor except how to steal it. But from what I have learned since, I must have put on pots of two suits. Anyway, I felt beastly, clamped and clumsy, and unable to move my arms and legs naturally. But I knew that the thing I was thinking of doing called for some sort of protection for my body. Over the armor, I pulled on my dressing gown and shoved my revolver into one of the side pockets. Can we just take a moment? Can we make a, take a moment to appreciate how absurd what he's describing is? He's got... Pieces of two different sets of armor, a dressing gown, a camera, and a revolver strapped to him? Yes. So just picture him putting all of this on in the dead of night, and just, like, a random footman or maid going down the hall trying to get the house settled for the night, and just hearing a soft clanging from Karnaki's room, and just being like, you know what? Not my department, and then just keeping going. Yeah, you know what? I'm not gonna ask. Not gonna ask. I don't get paid that much. You know gonna, don't need uh, this tonight. It's not worth it. <laughs> oh. Turns out the accent was the key to me getting past two sentences. <laughs> yes. Sorry to interrupt you, by the I... way. Just that was just absurd. <laughs> no. no, I'm really appreciating how much Karnaki is just robbing this man. <laughs> yeah. My <laughs> dark lantern I carried in my hand. As soon as I was ready, I went out into the passage and listened. I had been some considerable time making my preparations, and I found that now the big hall and staircase were in darkness, and all the house seemed quiet. I stepped back and closed and locked my door. Then, very slowly and silently, I went downstairs to the hall, and turned into the passage that led to the chapel. I reached the door and tried my key. It fitted perfectly, and a moment later I was in the chapel, with the door locked behind me, and all about me the utter dree... Silence of the place, with just the faint showings of the outlines of the stained, lidded windows, making the darkness and lonesomeness almost the more apparent. Now it would be silly to say I did not feel queer. I felt very <laughs> queer indeed. <laughs> you just try any of you to imagine yourself. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Got me. You just throw any of you. Does it? <laughs> wow, that was that was incredible. I don't think I can do that same voice. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just love do your how regular you were, Paris thing. I love how you were like Mayor Quimby, but also Australian. It was really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you guys could tell, I'm really good at accents. I mean, I'm. I I can't I can't uh, do just Paris. Doing. Just it's it's you can't imitate. You just have to do your own classic yeah. Paris Bostonian. Uh, let's see. You just try, any of you, to imagine yourself standing there in the dark silence and remembering not only the legend that was attached to the place, but what had really happened to the old butler only a little while gone. I can tell you as I stood there, I could believe that something invisible was coming toward me in the air of the chapel. Yet, I had got to go through with the business, and I just took hold of my little bit of courage and set to work. First of all, I switched on my light. Then, I began a careful tour of the place. Examining every corner and nook, I found nothing unusual. At the chancel gate, I held up my lamp and flashed the light at the dagger. It hung there, right enough, above the altar. 
but I remember thinking the word demure as I looked at it. However, what? Push the thought away. He looked at ten inches and thought demure. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Truly, well, he was truly, he's a competent bottom. But what I was doing needed no addition of uncomfortable thoughts. I completed the tour of the place <laughs> with a constantly growing awareness of its utter chill and unkind desolation. An atmosphere of cold dismalness seemed to be everywhere, and the quiet was abominable. At the conclusion of my search, I walked across to where I had left my camera focused upon the chancel. From the satchel that I had put beneath the tripod, I took out a dock slide and inserted it into the camera, drawing the shutter. After that, I uncapped the lens, pulled out my flashlight apparatus, and pressed the trigger. Gee, thanks for this fucking photography tutorial. There was an intense... <laughs> a, yeah, you weren't clear. Brilliant flash that made the whole of the interior of the chapel jump into sight and disappear as quickly. Then, in the light from my lantern, I inserted the shutter into the slide, reversed the slide, so as to have a fresh plate ready to expose at any time. After I had done this, I shut off my lantern and sat down in one of the pews near to my camera. I cannot say what I expected to happen, but I had an extraordinary feeling, almost a conviction. Something peculiar or horrible would soon occur. It was, you know, as if I knew. <laughs> what a sentence. Okay. Wow. An hour passed of absolute silence. The time I knew by the far-off, faint chime of a clock that had been erected over the stables. I was beastly cold, but the whole place was without any kind of heating pipes or furnace, as I had noticed during my search, so that the temperature was sufficiently uncomfortable to suit my frame of mind. Aren't you wearing two suits, like two fucking cobbled together suits of armor and a two dressing different gown? suits of armor? Uh, two that's suits of gotta armor be and the padding beneath. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I felt like a kind of human periwinkle encased in boilerplate and frozen with cold and funk. And you know, some of the <laughs> dark about me seemed to press coldly against my face. Oh, fuck off. Were you unprepared for the funk tea? <laughs> I was not ready for every part of that sentence. <laughs> I felt like a kind of human periwinkle encased in boilerplate and frozen with cold and funk. That is a hell of a sentence. It's I, a lot. I cannot say whether any of you have ever had the feeling, but if you have, you will know just how disgustingly unnerving it is. And then, all at once, I had a horrible sense that something was moving in the place. It was not that I could hear anything, but I had a kind of intuitive knowledge that something had stirred in the darkness. Can you imagine how I felt? Even though I'm fucking telling you right now, can you imagine it? Even there though I'm fucking... Can, can you fucking imagine? Suddenly, my coverage went. I put up my mailed arms over my face. I wanted to protect it. I'd gotten a sudden sickening feeling that something was hovering over me in the dark. Talk about fright! I could have shouted if I had not been afraid of the noise. <laughs> and then, abruptly, I heard something. Away up the aisle, I sounded a dull clang of metal as it might be the tread of a mailed heel up on the stone of the aisle. I sat immovable. I was fighting with all my strength to get back my courage. I could not take my arms down from over my face, but I knew that I was getting hold of the gritty part of me again. And suddenly, I made a mighty effort and lowered my arms. I held my face up in the darkness. And I tell you, I respect myself for the act, because I thought truly at that moment that I was going <laughs> to die. But I think, just then, by the slow revulsion of feeling which had assisted my effort, I was less sick in that instant at the thought of having to die than at the knowledge of the utter weak cowardice that had so unexpectedly shaken me all to bits for a time. Do I make myself clear? You understand. I feel sure. <laughs> that a sense of respect, which I spoke of, is not really unhealthy egotism, because, you see, I am not blind to the state of mind which helped me. I mean, that if I had uncovered my face by a sheer effort of will, 
unhelped by any revulsion of feeling, I should have done a thing much more worthy of mention. But even as it was, there were elements in the act worthy of respect. You follow me, don't you? And you know, nothing touched me after all. So that, in a little while, I got back a bit to my normal and felt steady enough to go through with the business without any more funkin'. I dare say a couple of minutes passed and then away up near the chancel there came again that clang as though an armored foot stepped cautiously by Jove but it made me stiffen (laughs) and suddenly the, the thought came that the sound I heard might be the rattle of the dagger above the altar so the thought of the ten inches above him made him stiffen Correct. Mm-hmm. In preparation to bottom case. it? Yes. Okay. It was not a particularly sensible notion, for the sound was far too heavy and resonant for such a cause. Yet, as can be easily understood, my reason was bound to submit somewhat to my fancy at such a time. I remember now that the idea of that insensate thing becoming animate and attacking me did not occur to me with any sense of possibility or reality. I thought rather in a vague way of some invisible monster of outer space fumbling at the dagger... I remember the old rector's description of the attack on the butler, of the void. And he had described the stupendous force of the blow as being like the kick of a great horse. You can see how uncomfortably my thoughts were running. I felt round swiftly and cautiously from my lantern. I found it close to me on the pew seat, and with a sudden, jerky movement, I switched on the light. I flashed it up the aisle, to and fro across the chancel, but I could see nothing to frighten me. I turned quickly and sent the jet of light dotting across and across the rear end of the chapel, then on each side of me, before and behind, up at the roof and down at the marble floor, but nowhere was there any visible thing to put me in fear. Not a thing that need have set my flesh thrilling. Just a quiet chapel, cold and eternally silent. You know the feeling. I've been standing sure whilst I sent the light about the chapel. Now I pulled out my revolver and then, with a tremendous effort of will, switched off the light and sat down again in the darkness to continue my constant watch. It seemed to me that quite half an hour or even more, must have passed after this, during which no sound had broken the intense stillness. I had grown less nervously tense, for the flashing of the light round the place had made me feel less out of all bounds of the normal. It had given me something of that unreasoned sense of safety that a nervous child obtains at night by covering its head up with the bedclothes. This just about illustrates the completely human illogicalness of the workings of my feelings, for, as you know, whatever creature, thing, or being it was that had made that extraordinary and horrible attack on the old butler, it had certainly not been visible. And so you capital C me, creature, capital T thing, capital B being, I feel is important to know, yes. because what the fuck. And so you must picture me sitting there in the dock, clumsy with armor, with my revolver in one hand, and nursing my lantern, ready with the other. And then it was, after this little time of partial relief from intense nervousness, that there came a fresh strain on me. Somewhere, in the utter quiet of the chapel, I thought I heard something. I listened, tense and rigid, my heart booming just a little in my ears for a moment. Then I thought I heard it again felt sure that something had moved at the top of the aisle. I strained in the darkness to hark, and my eyes showed me blackness within blackness, wherever I glanced, so that I took no heed of what they told me. For even if I looked at the dim loom with a stained window at the top of the chancel, my sight gave me the shapes of vague shadows passing noiselessly and ghostly across, constantly. It was a time of almost peculiar silence, horrible to me, as I felt just then. And suddenly, I seemed to hear a sound again, nearer to me, and repeated, infinitely stealthy. It was as if a vast, soft tread were coming slowly down the aisle. Can you imagine how I felt? I do not think you can. <laughs> I did not move any more than the stone effigies on the two tombs, but sat there, stiffened. Ooh, he's so yeah, hard. Fucking hard as a rock. He's so fucking hard. 
I fancied now that I heard the tread all about the chapel. And then, you know, it was just a sure in a moment that I could not hear it, that I had never heard it. Some particularly long minutes passed about this time, but I think my nerves must have quieted a bit, for I remember being sufficiently aware of my feelings to realize that the muscles in my shoulders ached with the way that they must have been contracted as I sat there, hunching myself rigid. Mind you, <laughs> I was still in a disgusting funk. But what I might call the imminent sense of danger seemed to have eased from around me. At any rate, I felt, in some curious fashion, that there was a respite. A temporary cessation of malignity from about me. It is impossible to word my feelings more clearly to you, for I cannot see them more clearly than this myself. Yet, you must not picture me as sitting there free from strain, for the nerve tension was so great that my heart action was a little out of normal control. The blood beat making a dull booming at times in my ears with the result that I had the <laughs> sensation that I could not hear acutely. This is a simply beastly feeling, especially under such circumstances. I was sitting like this, listening, as I might say, with body and soul, when suddenly I got that hideous conviction again that something was moving in the air of the place. The feeling seemed to stiffen me as I sat and my head appeared to tighten as if all the scalp had grown tense. This was so real that I suffered an actual pain, most peculiar and at the same time intense, the whole head pained. I had a fierce desire to cover my face again with my mailed arms, but I fought it off. If I had given way then to that, <clears throat> I should simply have bunked straight out of the place. I sat <laughs> and sweated coldly, that's the bald truth, with the creep busy at my spine. And then, abruptly, once more, I thought I heard the sound of that huge, soft tread on the aisle, and this time closer to me. There was an awful little silence, during which I had the feeling that something enormous was bending over toward me from the aisle. And then, through the booming of the blood in my ears, Ooh. there came a slight sound from the place where my camera stood. A disagreeable, sort of slithering sound. And then a sharp tap. I had the lantern ready in my left hand, and now I snapped it on, desperately, and shone it straight above me, for I had a conviction that there was something there. But I saw nothing. Immediately, I flashed the light at the camera and along the aisle, but again, there was nothing visible. I wheeled round, shooting the beam of light in a great circle about the place, to and fro, I shone it, jerking it here and there, but it showed me nothing. I had stood up the instant that I had seen that there was nothing in sight over me, and now I determined to visit the chancel and see whether the dagger had been touched. If I may interrupt, I just want everyone to real quick visualize what this looks like to anyone standing outside the chapel. <laughs> just a loudly clanging armored mini rave <clears throat> I stepped out of the pew into the aisle and here I came to an abrupt pause for an almost invincible sick repugnance was fighting me back from the upper part of the chapel a constant queer prickling went up and down my spine and a oh, dull it. ache took me in the small of the back <laughs> as I fought with myself to conquer this sudden new feeling of terror and horror I tell you and no one who has not been through these kinds of experiences has any idea of the sheer, actual, physical pain attendant upon and resulting from the intense nerve strain that ghostly fright sets up in the human system. I stood there feeling positively ill, but I got myself in hand, as it were, in about half a minute, and then uh -huh. I went, walking, I expect, as jerky as a mechanical tin man, and switching the light from side to side, before and behind and over my head continually, and the hand that held my revolver sweated so much that the thing fairly slipped in my fist. This does not sound very heroic, does it? Yeah, so he got himself in hand, and then the thing slipped in his fist. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was already yeah, so stiffened that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I passed through the short chancel and reached the step that led up to the small gate in the chancel rail. I threw the beam from my lantern upon the dagger. Yes, I thought. It's all right. Abruptly, it seemed to me that there was something wanting, and 
leaned forward over the chancel gate to Pia, holding the light high. My suspicion was hideously correct. The dagger had gone. Only the cross-shaped sheath hung there above the altar. Oh my god. In a sudden, frightened oh flash my god. of imagination, I pictured the thing adrift in the chapel, moving here and there as though of its own volition, for whatever force wielded it, certainly beyond visibility. I turned my head stiffly over to the left, glancing frightenedly behind me, and flashing the light to help my eyes. In the same instant, I was struck a tremendous blow over the left breast and hurled backward from the chancel rail into the aisle, my armor clanging loudly in the horrible silence. I landed on my back and slithered along in the polished marble. My shoulder struck the corner of the pew front and brought me up half-stunned. I scrambled to my feet, horribly sick and shaken. But the fear that was on me, making little of that at the moment, I was minus both revolver and lantern, and utterly bewildered as to just where I was standing. I bowed my head and made a scrambling run in the complete darkness and dashed into a pew. <laughs> I jumped back, staggering, <laughs> got my bearings a little, and raced down the center of the aisle, putting my mailed arms over my face. I plunged into my camera, <laughs> hurling it among the pews. I crashed into the <laughs> I crashed into the font and reeled back. Then I, was <laughs> I fumbled madly in my dressing gown pocket for the key. I found that and scraped at the door feverishly for the keyhole. I found the keyhole, turned the key, burst the door open, and went into the passage. I slammed the door and leaned hot against it, gasping. Whilst I felt crazily again for the keyhole, this time to lock the door upon what was in the chapel. I succeeded and began to feel my way stupidly along the wall of the corridor. Presently, I'd come to the big hall and saw in a little to my room. In my room, I sat for a while, until I had steadied down something to the normal. After a time, I commenced to strip off the armor. I saw then that both the chainmail and the plate armor had been pierced over the breast, and suddenly it came home to me that the thing had struck from my heart. Stripping rapidly, I found that the skin of the breast over the heart had just been cut sufficiently to allow a little blood to stain my shirt, nothing more. Only, the whole breast was badly bruised and intensely painful. You can imagine what would have happened if I had not worn the armor. In any case, it is a marvel that I was not, not knocked senseless. <clears throat> I did not go to bed at all that night, but sat upon, sat upon the edge, thinking and waiting for the dawn. But I had to remove my litter before Sir Alfred Jonnet could enter. If I were to hide from him, the fact that I had managed a duplicate key. Yeah, yeah, or, or all the other shit you stole. Yeah. So, so Where's if you my have to hide armor? from that you burned uh, pretty nowhere. much entire house. So as soon as the pale light of the morning had strengthened sufficiently to show me the various details of my room, I made my way quietly down to the chapel. Very silently, and with tense nerves, I opened the door. The chill light of the dawn made distinct the whole place, everything seeming instinct with a ghostly, unearthly quiet. Can you get the feeling? I waited nope. several minutes at the door. Allowing the morning to grow, and likewise my courage, I suppose, and my heart on. Presently, the rising sun threw an odd beam right in through the big east window, making colored sunshine all the length of the chapel. And then, with a tremendous effort, I forced myself to enter. I went up the aisle to where I had overthrown my camera in the darkness. The legs of the tripod were sticking up from the interior of a pew, and I expected to find the machine smashed to pieces. Yet, beyond that, the ground glass was broken. There was no real damage done. I replaced the camera in the position from which I had taken the previous photography, but the slide containing the plate I exposed by flashlight I removed and put into one of my side pockets, regretting that I had not taken a second flash picture at the instant when I heard those strange sounds up in the chancel. Having tidied my photographic apparatus, I went to the chancel to recover my lantern and revolver, which had both, as you know, been knocked from my hands when I was stabbed. I found the lantern lying, hopelessly bent, with smashed lens just under the pulpit. My revolver, I must have held until my shoulder struck the pew, for it was lying there in the aisle, just about where I believed I cannoned into the pew corner. It was quite undamaged. 
Having secured these two articles, I walked up to the chancel rail to see whether the dagger had returned, or been returned, to its sheath above the altar. Before, however, I reached the chancel rail, I had a slight shock. For there, on the floor of the chancel, about a yard away from where I had been struck, lay the dagger, quiet and demure upon the polished marble pavement. Again, demure. Demure. The ten-inch demure blade. Mm. I wonder whether you will, any of you, understand the nervousness that took me at the sight of the thing. With a sudden, unreasoned action, I jump forward and put my foot on it to hold it there. Can you understand? Do you? And, you know, I, I cannot stoop down <laughs> No. pick it up with my hands for quite a minute, I, I should think. Afterward, when I had done so, however, and handled it a little, this feeling passed away, and my reason, and also, I expect, daylight, made me feel that I had been a little bit of an ass. Capital R reason. <laughs> White natural, though. No I capital A ass. I assure you. <laughs> Yet it was a new kind of fear to me. Taking no notice of the chief joke about the ass. Yeah. <laughs> what? The cheap what? joke that what? you made to yourself? Like, uh, okay. What? what? I am talking about the curiousness of learning in that moment a new shade or quality of fear that had hitherto been outside of my knowledge and imagination. Does that interest you? Yes. No. Your ass fear interests me. Oh, wait. Yeah, when you put it like that, that does interest me. <laughs> I examined the dagger minutely, turning it over and over in my hands and never, as I suddenly discovered... Holding it loosely. It was as if I was subconsciously surprised that it lay quiet in my hands. Yet even this feeling passed, largely for a short while. The curious weapon showed no signs of the blow, except that the dull color of the blade was slightly brighter on the rounded point that had cut through the armor. Presently, when I had made an end of staring at the dagger, I went up to the chancel step and in through the little gate. Then, kneeling upon the altar, I replaced the dagger in its sheath and came outside of the rail again, Closing the gate after me and feeling awarely uncomfortable because the horrible old weapon was back again in its custom place. I suppose, without analyzing my feelings very deeply, I had an unreasoned and only half-conscious belief that there was a greater probability of danger when the dagger hung in its five-century resting place than when it was out of it. Yet, somehow, I don't think this is a very good explanation. When I remember the demure look the thing seemed to have when I saw it lying on the floor of the chancel. Only I know this. When I had replaced the dagger, I had quite a touch of nerves, and I stopped only to pick up my lantern from where I had placed it whilst I examined the weapon, after which I went down the quiet aisle at a pretty quick walk and so got out of the place. That the nerve tension had been considerable, I realized, when I had locked the door behind me. I felt no inclination now to think of old Sir Alfred as a hypochondriac because he had taken such hyper-seeming precautions regarding the chapel. I had a sudden wonder as to whether he might not have some knowledge of the long prior tragedy in which the dagger had been concerned. I returned to my room, washed, shaved, and dressed, after which I read a while. Then I went downstairs and got the acting butler to give me some sandwiches and a cup of coffee. Like, you're not going to- sandwiches! Wait, wait, so he's not going to tell anyone this happened? <laughs> cool. No. <laughs> Half an hour later- He's going to tell the unstabbed butler to give him some goddamn sandwiches! <laughs> Half an hour later, I was heading for Burton Tree, as hard as I could walk. For a sudden idea had come to me, which I was anxious to test. I reached the town a little before 8.30 and found the local photographer with his shutters still up. I did not wait, but knocked until he appeared with his coat off, evidently in the act of dealing with his breakfast. In a few words, I made clear that I wanted the use of his darkroom immediately, and this he at once placed at my disposal. I had brought with me the slide, <coughs> which contained the plate that I had used with the flashlight, and as soon as I was ready, I set to work to develop. Yet, it was not the plate which I had exposed that I first put into the solution, but the second plate, which had been ready in the camera during all the time of my wait in the darkness. You see, the lens had been uncapped all that while so that the whole chancel had been, as it were, under observation. You all know something of my experiments in lightless photography, that is, appreciating light, 
It was X-ray work that started me in that direction. Yet, you must understand. Though I was attempting to develop this unexposed plate, I had no definite idea of results, nothing more than a vague hope that it might show me something. Yet, because of the possibilities, it was with the most intense and absorbing interest that I watched the plate under the action of the developer. Presently, I saw a faint smudge of black appear in the upper part, and after that others, indistinct and wavering of outline. I held the negative up to the light. The marks were rather small, and were almost entirely confined to one end of the plate, but as I have said, lack definiteness. Yet, such as they were, they were sufficient to make me very excited, and I shoved the thing quickly back into the solution. For some minutes further, I watched it, lifting it out once or twice to make a more exact scrutiny, but could not imagine what the markings might represent until suddenly it occurred to me that in one or two places, they certainly had shapes suggestive of a cross-hilted dagger. Yet, the shapes were sufficiently indefinite to make me careful not to let myself be over-impressed by the uncomfortable resemblance, though I must confess the very thought was sufficient to set some odd thrills adrift in me. I carried development a little further, then put the negative into the hypo and commenced work upon the other plate. This came up nicely, and very soon I had a really decent negative that appeared similar in every respect, except for the difference of lighting, to the negative I had taken during the previous day. I fixed the plate, then having washed both it and the unexposed one for a few minutes under the tap, I put them into methylated spirits for 15 minutes, after which I carried them into the photographer's kitchen and dried them in the oven. (laughs) (laughs) Riveting! Early photography stuff here. Sorry, I need some water. He didn't give you the use of his fucking oven. Yeah. Also, like, you just show up at a strange photographer's house at 8.30 in the morning. You're like, let me use your darkroom. And he's like, sure, stranger. I, 100% like, uh, like he's got toast in his mouth like a little anime protagonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happens. I, I'm him. I'm just like, fuck, I gotta see where you're going to develop right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst the two plates were drying, the photographer and I made an enlargement from the negative I had taken by daylight. Then we did the same with the two that I had just developed, washing them as quickly as possible, for I was not troubling about the permanency of the prints and drying them with spirits. When this was done, I took them to the window and made a thorough examination, commencing with the one that appeared to show shadowy daggers in several places. Yet, though it was now enlarged, still unable to feel convinced that the marks truly represented anything abnormal. Because of this, I put it on one side, determined not to let my imagination play too large a part in constructing weapons out of the indefinite outlines. I took up the two other enlargements, both of the chancel, as you will remember, and commenced to compare them. For some minutes, I examined them without being able to distinguish any difference in the scene they portrayed, and then abruptly saw something in which they varied. In the second enlargement, the one made from the flashlight negative, the dagger was not in its sheath. Yet, I had felt <gasps> sure it was there, Oh! but a few minutes before I took the photograph. <clears throat> After this discovery, I began to compare the two enlargements in a very different manner from my previous scrutiny. I borrowed a pair of calipers from the photographer, and with these, I carried out a most methodical and exact comparison of the details shown in the two photographs. Suddenly, I came upon something that set me all tingling with excitement. I threw the calipers down, paid the photographer, and walked out through the shop into the street. The three enlargements I took with me, making them into a roll as I went. At the corner of the street, I had the luck to get a cab and was soon back at the castle. I hurried up to Three my enlargement room. set him tingling with excitement, I see. And put the photographer... <laughs> yeah, you know. Put the photographs away. Then I went down to see whether I could find Sir Alfred Jonick. But Mr. George Jonick, who met me, told me that his father was too unwell to rise and would prefer that no one enter the chapel unless he were about. Young Jonick made a half-apologetic excuse for his father, remarking that Sir Alfred Jonick was perhaps inclined to be a little overcareful. But that, considering what had happened, we must agree that the need for his carefulness had been justified. He added also 
that even before the horrible attack on the butler, his father had been just as particular, always keeping the key and never allowing the door to be unlocked except when the place was in use for divine service, and for an hour each forenoon when the cleaners were in. To all this, I nodded understandingly, but when presently the young man left me, I took my duplicate key and made for the door of the chapel. I went in and locked it behind me, after which I carried out some intensely interesting and rather weird experiments. These proved successful to such an extent that I came out of the place in a perfect fever of excitement. I fit all the way up there. (laughs) I inquired. So Karnaki has taken some private photographs with the 10 inches. (laughs) All 10 inches. (laughs) I inquired for Mr. George Janak and was told that he was in the morning room. Also, hey, don't you love how we got like seven paragraphs of detailed photography? But then he's like. Hey, I did some weird shit, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's some real cool. freak shit, man. It was wild. Me anyway. and the 10 inches getting freaky in the chapel. You know how you do. <laughs> Come along, I said when I had found him. Please give me a lift. I have something exceedingly strange to show you. He was palpably very much puzzled, but came quickly. <laughs> <laughs> palpably very much puzzled, <laughs> but came quickly. As we strode along, he asked me a score of questions, to all of which I just shook my head asking him to wait a little. I led the way to the armory. Here I suggested that he should take one side of a dummy, dressed in half-plate armor, whilst I took the other. He nodded, though obviously vastly bewildered, and together we carried the thing to the chapel door. When he saw me take out my key and open the way for us, he appeared even more astonished, but held himself in, evidently waiting for me to explain. That is the most English reaction of all time. Seeing someone take out a key they shouldn't have to a part of your house that they shouldn't have access to and being like, he can probably explain this later. I I won't question him now. It wouldn't be polite. We entered the chapel and I locked the door behind us, after which we carted the armored dummy up the aisle to the gate of the chancel rail where we put it down upon its round wooden stand. Stand back! I shouted suddenly as young Jonik made a movement to open the gate. My God, man, you mustn't do that! Do what? he asked, half startled and half irritated by my words and manner. One minute, I said. Just stand to the side a moment and watch. He stepped to the side. Oh, to the left. Thank God, I'm oh. free! I'm free! Oh, God, that went on for so left, long. My throat, really good. My Paris, I, I have to applaud. Nice job, although I understand your... It was your, truly yeah. magnificent oh, to behold, I, I must fu- say. I fucked with the accent a few times, but it, oh, God, my throat. <laughs> Okay, you have served us well. We've gotten through a good chunk here. We did. Ugh. I really like uh, this, like, Larry David version of Karnacki that I've got going on here. <laughs> yeah, I do. I lo- I'm into him. <laughs> I forget whose turn it is. It's Ken's. Oh. It is me? Mm-hmm. I think. It's you. Mm-hmm. In. We return now to ASMR Karnacki. He stepped to the left whilst I took the dummy in my arms and turned it to face the altar so that it stood close to the gate. Then, standing well away on the right side, I pressed the back of the thing so that it leant forward a little upon the gate, which flew open. In the same instant, the dummy was struck a tremendous blow that hurled it into the aisle, the armor rattling and clanging upon the polished marble floor. "'Good God!' shouted young Jarnock, and ran back from the chancel rail, his face very white." Come and look at the thing, I said, and led the way to where the dummy lay, its armor a- What? Nope. <laughs> Can't get- th- It's gonna be- Just go right back to Paris, and she's gonna have to do the rest of it. Oh. Rest <laughs> please, of it, yeah. It's please armored upper me. limbs, all splayed I'll do my best, Paris. <laughs> Come and look at the thing, I said, 
and led the way to where the dummy lay, its arm and upper limbs all splayed adrift in queer contortions. I stooped over it and pointed. There, driven right through the thick steel breastplate, was the wayful dagger. Good God, said young Jonak again. Good God, it's the dagger. The thing's been stabbed, same as Bellet. Yes, I replied, and saw him glance swiftly toward the entrance of the chapel. But I will do him the justice to say that he never budged an inch. Come and see how it was done, I said, and led the way back to the chancel rail. From the wall to the left of the altar, I took down a long, curiously ornamented iron instrument, not unlike a short spear. The sharp end of this I inserted in a hole in the left-hand gatepost of the chancel gateway. I lifted hard, and a section of the post from the floor upward bent inward toward the altar, as though hinged at the bottom. Down it went, leaving the remaining part of the post standing. As I bent the movable portion lower, there came a quick click, and a section of the floor slid to one side, showing a long, shallow cavity, sufficient to enclose the post. I put my weight to the lever and hove the post down into the niche. Immediately, there was a sharp clang as some catch snicked in and held it against the powerful operating spring. I went over now to the dummy, and after a few minutes' work, managed to wrench the dagger loose out of the armor. I brought the old weapon and placed its hilt in a hole near the top of the post where it fitted loosely, the point upward. After that, I went again to the lever and gave another strong heave, and the post descended about a foot to the bottom of the cavity, catching there with another clang. I withdrew the lever, and the narrow strip of floor slid back, covering post and dagger, and looking no different from the surrounding surface. Then I shut the chancel gate, and we both stood well to one side. I took the spear-like lever, and gave the gate a little push so that it opened. Instantly, there was a loud thud, and something sang through the air, striking the bottom wall of the chapel. It was the dagger. I showed Janak, then, that the other half of the post had sprung back into place, making the whole post as thick as one upon the right-hand side of the gate. There, I said, turning to the young man and tapping the divided post. There's the invisible thing that used the dagger. But who the deuce is the person who sets the trap? I looked at him keenly as I spoke. What the fuck? My so, this, so this uh, fucking this is a ghost. It's just been a fucking legend of the hidden temples. Goddamn trap! I mean, I, it has. You know what's funny is I was actually gonna say that oh, it's probably just like a spring trap or something at the beginning, and I didn't because I was like that would be too dumb. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. Oh, Paris, there's nothing too dumb for Karnaki. It's uh, true. But why would you have this? Why would this be a, th a function in your chapel? Like, stand on this plate, get stabbed. Also, how did no one know about this? It's a fun party trick, you know. Anyway. My, my father is the only one who has a key, he said. So it's practically impossible for anyone to get in and meddle. I looked at him again, but it was obvious that he had not yet reached out to any conclusion. It was obvious he was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> See here, Mr. Janik, I said, perhaps rather curter than I should have done considering what I had to say. Are you quite sure that Sir Alfred is quite balanced mentally? He looked at me, half-frightenedly and flushing a little. I realized then how badly I put it. I, I don't know, he replied after a slight pause and was then silent, except for one or two incoherent half-remarks. Tell the truth, I said. Haven't you suspected something now and again? You needn't be afraid to tell me. Well, he answered slowly, I'll admit I've thought father a little 
A little strange, perhaps, at times. But I've always tried to think I was mistaken. I've always hoped no one else would see it. You see, I'm very fond of the old governor. I nod. Quite right, Wait, too, so, I said. So this this guy is sundowning and setting a trap? Every night? Amazing. <laughs> well, and There's then he no, purposely this, this asked... This a visit prequel? Well, and he... The, and it's like, who knew about it? Does Alfred know about it? Or does the rector know? And the rector... Per, like purposely tried to murder the butler by asking him to step in the right place or what? Oh. But why would you have this function at a chapel? Why would there be a murder function in your chapel? I'd for the oh. chapel murders <laughs> every Tuesday. There's not the least need to make any kind of scandal about this. We must do something though, but in a quiet way. No fuss, you know. I should go and have a chat with your father. And tell him we found out about this thing. I touched the divided post. Young Jonix seemed very grateful for my advice, and after shaking my hand pretty hard, took my key and let himself out of the chapel. He came back in about an hour, looking rather upset. He told me that my conclusions were perfectly correct. It was Sir Alfred Jonix who had set the trap, both on the night that the butler was nearly killed and on the past night. Indeed, it seemed that the old gentleman had set it every night for many years. He had learnt of its existence from an old manuscript book in the castle library. It had been planned and used in an earlier age as a protection for the gold vessels of the ritual, which were, it seemed, kept in a hidden recess at the back of the altar. This recess Sir Alfred Jonick had utilized secretly to store his wife's jewelry. She had died some twelve years back, and the young man told me that his father had never seemed quite himself since. I mentioned to young Jonak how puzzled I was that the trap had been set before the service, on the night that the butler was struck, for, if I understood him aright, his father had been in the habit of setting the trap late every night and unsetting it each morning before anyone entered the chapel. He replied that his father, in a fit of temporary forgetfulness, natural enough in his neurotic condition, must have set it too early and hence what had so nearly proved a tragedy. That is about all there is to tell. The old man is... Not, so far as I could learn, really insane in the popularly accepted sense of the word. He is extremely neurotic and has developed a hypochondriac, the whole condition <laughs> probably brought about by the shock and sorrow resulting on the death of his wife, leading to many years of sad broodings and to overmuch of his own company and thoughts. Indeed, young Janak told me that his father would sometimes pray for hours together alone in the chapel. Karnaki made an end of speaking and leant forward for a spill. But you've never told us just how you discovered the secret of the divided post and all that, I said, speaking for the four of us. All that, replied Karnaki, puffing vigorously at his pipe. I found, on comparing the <laughs> photos, that the one taken in the daytime showed a thicker left-hand gatepost than the one taken at night by the flashlight. Karnaki is an expert on feeling of the thickness of posts. That put oh, me no. onto the track. I saw at once that there might be some mechanical dodge at the back of the whole queer business yeah. and nothing at all of an abnormal nature. I've examined the post. You okay, all right, Karnak. I examined the post and the rest was simple enough, you know. By the way, he continued, rising and going to the mantelpiece, you may be interested to have a look at the so-called Wafel Dagger. Young Janik was kind enough to present it to me as a little memento of my adventure. He handed it round to us and whilst we examined it, stood silent before the fire, puffing meditatively at his pipe. Jonik and I made the trap so that it won't work, he remarked after a few moments. 
I've got the dagger, as you see, and old Bellet's getting about again, so that the whole business can be hushed up decently. All the same, I fancy the chapel will never lose its reputation as a dangerous place. Should be pretty safe now to keep valuables in. This old man's senility almost killed a guy, what? but we shouldn't tell anyone. At least of all, the guy he almost killed. Yeah, maybe let him know. <sighs> also, this trap makes no sense. There, there are other ways, like, you can access the altar from different angles. Why would there just be a trap for one one angle? It... There's two <laughs> things you haven't explained yet, I said. What do you think caused the two clangy sounds when you were in the chapel in the dark? And do you believe the soft, tready sounds were real or only a fancy, with your being so worked up and tense? Don't know for certain about the clangs, replied Karnaki. <laughs> I've puzzled oh, shit about clangs. I've puzzled quite a bit about them. I can only think that the spring which worked the post must have given a trifle, slipped, you know, in the catch. If it did, under such a tension, it would make a bit of a ringing noise. And a little sound goes a long way in the middle of the night when you're thinking of ghostesses. That's the, <laughs> I didn't mess up. Why did he say that? It's go, go, G-H-O-S-T- Why did he say ghostesses? Ghostesses. Quote, unquote, ghostesses. Ghostesses, you know. Dude, it's my favorite company for snack cake. Ghost- <laughs> ghostesses. Made with haunted essence? Oh, I was just going <laughs> to say that. Fuck. Haunted essence ghostess. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, devil dogs, another popular uh-huh. style from... Uh, oh. Oh, ghostesses. Oh, fuck. You can understand that, eh? Yes, I agreed. And the other sounds? Well, the same thing. I mean, the extraordinary quietness may help to explain those a bit. They may have been some unusual... Fuck. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you made it pretty far. Oh, boy. Uh, An excellent job. All right. (laughs) All right, Candy, take us home. They may have been some unusual enough sound that would never have been noticed under ordinary conditions, or they may have been only fancy. It is just impossible to say. They were disgustingly real to me. As for the slithery noise, I am pretty sure that one of the tripod legs of my camera must have slipped a few inches if it did so. It may easily have jolted the lens cap off the baseboard, which would account for that queer little tap which I heard directly after. How do you account for the dagger being in its place above the altar when you first examined it that night? I asked. Why does Dog have have the worst voice? Because he's only here for one more sentence. (laughs) (laughs) How could it be there when at that very moment it was set in the trap? That was my mistake, replied Karnaki. The dagger could not possibly have been in its sheath at the time, though I thought it was. You see, the curious cross-hilted sheath gave the appearance of the complete weapon, as you can understand. The hilt of the dagger protrudes very little above the continued portion of the sheath, a most inconvenient arrangement for drawing quickly. He nodded sagely at the lot of us and yawned, then glanced at the cock. Out you go, he said in friendly fashion, using the recognized formula, I want to sleep. We rose, shook him by the hand, and went out presently into the night, and the quiet of the capital E embankment, and so to our homes. Incredible. Where we all oh. were stiffened by noises in the night. Oh. Yeah. Somehow the worst Karnaki story oh of all God. time. I am very <laughs> stiffened at the fact that I might not have to read much more of Karnaki for at least a short he foreseeable spent future. 
It described him as spending three days examining the chapel. And at no point did he think to look at the fucking knife. Or the gate. Not a fucking good finder. Or the gate. Like, neither of those things. Never touched the gate. He saw the knife. it for three days. Never touched the gate. Yeah. The knife that hit a man, that stabbed a man, that went through him like a goddamned bullet. And he never took it out of the sheath to look at it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Alfred, Sir Alfred calls up a a paranormal findy person to ask about, hey, why did the dagger fly through my butler? And he didn't think, hey, maybe it's the fucking (laughs) trap that I set. I mean, they did. Yeah, it's like (laughs) they did describe him as senile, basically. But I mean... He's like a very convenient senile, though. He's like he's just lucid enough to realize that like his his butler being poked full of fucking Swiss cheese holes is not good. Yeah, I just but like I just feel like <laughs> well, and here's the other thing: how did the entire dagger, all ten inches plus Hilton handle, go through chainmail and armor? It didn't. It did though. No, it didn't. Well, the, uh, it did on oh, the dummy, true. but not oh, on the dummy. Oh, on the dummy. You're right. Okay. Sorry. Well, I guess I guess it didn't go all the way through the it body, did. but it pierced chainmail and armor. Would a dagger? Was it, the same it, armor cut, it did Karnacki cut Karnacki. before. Like, did the first blow weaken it and the second go through it? Okay, oh. I'll have to live with that. I guess I. I guess I'm just <laughs> thinking like. I guess there just must must be an incredible amount of force behind the contraption because that's the only way it would go through someone. Or, or through armor like that. Wow. Wow. What was that? That was a real fuck you send off from, wow. from, uh, from Hodge. Yeah, from- that was Karnacki's, Karnacki's weakest adventure yet. God. Well, and also, like, <laughs> I love how they're just like, oh, yeah, he's just senile and not like he maybe planned this because, I mean, he could have... <laughs> He yeah. could have put the rector's book back there and knew know that the rector was going to ask the butler to get it. I mean... He knew, like, this is just Russian roulette with where you stand in church. It's kind of like, at some point, someone <laughs> someone is going to get stabbed and murdered. Like, I just, I don't even understand how the butler is surviving this. How do you get a whole ass the sword The butler didn't survive. Yeah, he did. He was on the mend. No, he, no, he, no, but he oh. died, like. A week later, yeah. he died. Like I'm, I this isn't in the story. Just to clarify, he just, I'm just deciding he died of sepsis because, like, it punched through him. Yeah, it aerated one entire butler. Like I don't <laughs> think he's coming back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Aaron. Yeah, I, I just, God, that was awful. That was awful, and I think that's. Wow. I just, I my favorite part is definitely like everyone going. Wait, what about all the other garbage you were talking about? Carter <laughs> yeah. goes, huh? What? Wow. Nah. That's probably something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, get get out of my house. I need a sleep. I need a sleep. Get out. Really, really good Kennedy, by the way, dude. You oh, said yeah. the word dry at Thank one you. point Thank there, you. and I was amazed with how you just perfectly nailed it. <laughs> yeah, you've got the real, like... Uh, I almost... A I almost lost it at having to say queer oh again. Queer. Like, queer. <laughs> every time you said queer, like, just... Say, I don't know why, but, like... An instant comedy for me is the Boston accent saying queer, <laughs> especially considering it is a Man. common derogatory like statement here. Yeah. Like, Lord knows you hear it enough in Boston. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, you know, like it's not hard to find someone saying something's fucking queer. 
So like, oh, <laughs> just saying it almost tipped me over the edge three times. Oh man! Jesus. Somehow the well, story. I'm so glad we would all, could all come together for Karnaki once again. Mm. What a wonderful experience! Yeah, I oh. really I had a great time with you. You guys turned it into the good experience. Yeah, I would not. Uh, this, since this is uh, technically an episode that we're airing, uh, how would I fix this? I don't know. All the things we just listed, all those things sure. need to be changed. Also, don't read this. <laughs> Uh, it's not right. You just listen to it anyway, so... <laughs> Jokes on you. Yeah. not I mean, reading it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we're reading it for a reason, so you, don't, you won't. Yes. Uh, uh, counterpoint, do read these, they're hilarious. A counterpoint, you know, if you're going to read these, definitely do an Eye of Argon with your buds. Yes. yes, very true. Definitely make a game out of it. I would not recommend a drinking game because you will become violently ill and need to be transported to the nearest medical facility. Um, yes, I guess, uh, I should thank our patrons, but I don't have the list in front of me. I don't know if I can remember all 18. That's a lot. Um, do we want to record separate outros? Yeah, we could just do that that. as well. And tack them on to the end of our respective episodes. Yeah, sure. We could even do a better real intro. I don't know. What, uh, whatever. (laughs) No, that one was fine. (laughs) Wow. That one was great. I think at this point, it's just best if we all say goodbye and thank you for joining us on um, this, you know, at least last for a while, Karnaki adventure. Yeah, we're taking a break from the old Karnak. Did a lot of Karnakin. I think I can get uh, copies of the complete Karnaki shipped to everyone within the month. Oh, great. Oh, I don't know well. whether that's, I don't know whether I should <laughs> oh, say boy. thank you or be concerned. You're um, welcome. You. <laughs> well, wait, the complete Karnak. I mean, how much more car is there to be necked? Uh, three more. There are three more cars to be necked. Three more short stories? Three more short stories. Okay. I was a little scared right. you were going to say three more books of short stories, and I was going to go, oh, God. No, 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 no. All right. Three more short stories. Okay, three more. I guess I can do that. I just need some recovery time. Yeah. We just need some time to, <laughs> you know, decompress ourselves. <laughs> to, to, to stop thinking about the ghostesses for a little while. <laughs> Oh, well, this was this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for doing this with us. This was a good time. And um, on this marathon recording day, it was a nice, nice, nice time to have some company. It's not just me and Chris, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit of a palate cleanser, yeah. but the worst, like not a, cl- a palate dis- destroyer. Yeah. destroyer. Something to help you forget you ever had a palate. Yeah. Instead of instead of a cleanser, we just set our palates on fire and it's just a different kind of pain. That's Yay. how it works. Yeah. yeah, it's like spicy food. Oh my god, we have to do something with burningclown.com. Someone, <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah, yeah. what is burningclown.com going online? We, sorry, I, uh, I am more actively working on it now that I am underemployed. Oh my god, that's <laughs> so. incredible. Yeah, all it really needs to be is like a clown roasting on a spit and then buttons to terriblebookclub.com and. and- <laughs> And just, yeah. just buttons to our respective pages and just a clown roasting on a spit. That's all it needs to be. Burningclown.com. Clown roasting on a spit. That's yeah. what happened to him in the story. Yeah, that's true. The only he was burnt at the stake, story. not roasted on a spit. 
He was just that's the same. No, that's, that's the same. That's just an upright. That's just a that's just a no, spit, wasn't. but up. Like it's the same thing. <laughs> no, I you, thought you, he was in the in the oven. That's why in the fireplace. That's why he was in that. His spirit was in that room. I'm just gonna keep doing this motion. Yeah, he was roasted, but he, I don't think he was bespitten. I think he was. I don't think they rotisseried him. No, I think I think they just burnt him. I yeah. think he was just a burning clown. Just like regular being I think on fire. He was fire. rotisserie clown. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. All right. I well, you can refer back to that in previous episodes. Taken for like a different purpose. Wait, well, I don't know. Wait, do you think ro- you think spit? Ro- hold on, we're gonna find oh, out. No, 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 I no, 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 no. You see, every time you do this, I'm just gonna go buy another domain. No, no, no. Spit roasted clown. No. We do not need to acquire spitroastclown.com. I don't know about this one. <laughs> we, we need to go. Okay, we need to go before we get this on the episode. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, Goodbye. oh it's oh, it's available. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, it's available. Goodbye, Good for everybody. Them. Good for whoever else takes it. Dionysus cold hands and run off into the sunset, cackling maniacally with all clown URLs under our belt. Uh, Here we, we're gonna we're gonna own spitroastedclown.com. Oh, yeah, it's gonna redirect uh, to burningclown.com. <laughs> This is the first thing that came up is a link to gay porn smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Shocker. everybody. Have a good evening. We'll <laughs> see you next time on Terrible Antiques Books Free. We love you. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>